On the second weekend in March, the U.S. banking system was edging toward disaster. And two former bank CEOs were about to be drawn in to help manage the crisis. Tim Myopoulos. I got a text very late on Saturday night saying that the FDIC wanted to talk to me early the next morning. And Greg Carmichael. So I got up early around 6, 6.15. I looked at my phone. I saw I had a text asking me if I could be on a call with the FDIC within the next 20 minutes. Whoa. Um, which was before 7, so which was on a Sunday had morning. Had you had coffee? Uh, not yet. The FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. It's an independent agency tasked with maintaining stability in the nation's financial system. And the FDIC was urgently trying to reach Tim and Greg because it was taking over two failing banks. The sudden sensational collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, which had assets of one point over $200 billion, hit financial markets like an earthquake. Fallout continues to grow from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. They were the largest bank failures since the 2008 financial crisis and the second and third largest bank failures in U.S. history. Federal regulators needed to stabilize the two failed banks as soon as possible. And they turned to Greg and Tim. I get on the phone and they say, we are looking at people who could serve as CEOs, CFOs, and board chairs at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature. But we'd really like you to consider the CEO role. And uh, we're going to need to know in an hour. So I say, of course, yes. Greg and Tim got their assignments. Greg would go to New York to run Signature Bank, and Tim would head to the Bay Area to Silicon Valley Bank. What did you pack? I was going to Silicon Valley, so I knew that most of the time people don't wear suits. You know, so I just packed some slacks, some shoes, and a few shirts. How long did you think you would be gone for? I really didn't know. So, you know, I knew I was shipping out, but I didn't know when I'd be coming back. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, April 18th. Coming up on the show, two executives on what it's like to stop a bank run. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. In the years after the 2008 financial crisis, the FDIC created a standby pool of banking veterans who could be called on in the event of another bank collapse. Among those recruited was Tim Myopoulos. Tim had worked at Bank of America and Fannie Mae. They were looking for people who could serve as CEOs, people who could serve as chief financial officers, people who could be the chairman or chair of the board other board members. Did you think you would ever get the call? It was funny, you know, every time we would meet, uh, the members of the standpipe pool would meet with uh, the FDIC staff, 
at some point in every one of those meetings, it was said, we hope we never need to call you. We hope we never need to actually take advantage of your willingness to serve. Greg Carmichael was recruited to the pool last summer after he retired as the CEO of Fifth Third Bank, a mid-sized bank based in Cincinnati. I never thought I'd get the call. Um, I was fairly confident that the financial services sector and banks in particular were in very, very good shape. Then when things started to heat up a little bit and the challenges with you know Silicon Valley Bank were starting to become known, and um, I started to pay attention and, and listen up that, oh, we may be in a difficult situation. The March weekend that Tim and Greg got the call was the first time the FDIC turned to its standby pool of executives. The FDIC's plan was to turn each collapsed bank into what is called a bridge bank. That's a temporary bank that operates until the FDIC can find a buyer. The temporary banks needed temporary CEOs to keep them running, to slow down a bank run, and to reassure the entire financial system. And that's where Tim and Greg came in. About 12 hours after Greg got the call on Sunday, he was in a cab to the Signature Bank headquarters in Midtown Manhattan. I called the FDIC yeah. contact. He was, said he was going to be on site. And I said, I'm in the lobby, all right? Actually, I was out front of the lobby because I couldn't get in. So I'm out in front of the lobby, you know, office. So I'll be down to get you. He gets me, and we're walking up through the lobby, going on the elevator. He said, there's a lot of people here, Greg. I said, oh, really? He says, there's a lot of employees, and they're, they're pretty upset, as you might imagine. We just seized the bank. We asked the executive chairman, and we asked the CEO to go home. And I said, okay. So that was done just now. He said, yes. So we get to the elevator, we open up, and this floor is packed with people. There's a lot of people on the floor. And the boardroom that we're in now was standing room only. I mean, the tables, everyone's sitting, everyone's standing. Every there papers every, everywhere? Everywhere, okay, because they've been working all weekend. But this room is packed. I don't know who's FDIC. I don't know who's employees. You know, there's not like they're displaying their badges. So I don't know who's who. So I sat my briefcase down against the wall over there. And uh, my contact said, would you address the group? Could you speak loud because they're in the hallways too? And game on. What did you say? I introduced myself. I said, no, none of you want to be in this situation. Okay, I wasn't expecting to be here. I said, but we have a job to do. Tomorrow we're going to open this company up as, as Signature Bridge Bank, and that's going to take a lot of work, and we have to be respectful and responsible of each other and the customers. So did you sit down right here in this conference room and get to work? I did. I sat down right at the end of the conference room, and I got to work. You know, and it was just one person after another. What do we do here? What do we do here? We need this. We need that. All at right. what point did you take your jacket off? Oh, I didn't. I really didn't. It just, <laughs> it just moved. I mean, I, I lost yeah. track of time. Monday morning across the country in Palo Alto, Tim made his way to Silicon Valley Bank, where he also met with employees who had a lot of questions. I showed up there and I I told them that, you know, the FDIC had asked me to come and do this, that I thought it was important work, that I felt a lot of empathy for them. I'd been through something somewhat similar at Fannie Mae, where lots of people were shocked by the government's takeover of that company. And that I'm sure that they were all still processing that and that the people around them were processing that. They weren't sure what was going to happen to their employer. And I told them that, you know, people were going to measure us collectively by how well we performed over the next week or two or month or two or three. 
and we needed to do it for the clients, and we needed to do it for the stability of the banking system. When you looked out at their faces, what did they look like? You know, they were a little shell-shocked, and understandably so. To me, it was really important to express empathy to them, try to develop a sense of trust and confidence with them. I told them that I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I really needed their help, that I couldn't do this by myself, and that they were critical to the success of this. I imagine there was a lot of panic and stress at that moment. Uh, I wouldn't say that people were panicking, but they clearly were stressed. And in my mind, the most important thing for me to do was to convey a sense of calm, convey a sense of calm internally at the company to all of the employees and the executives, but also convey a sense of calm to the clients and to the banking system generally so that people would start to think about this as a you know, a return to normalcy and not panic. After talking with employees, Tim and Greg had to get these new bridge banks ready to open. And that meant dealing with massive withdrawal requests and customers needing to make payroll. That's next. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. On Monday, the first business day after the government takeover of Signature Bank, Greg Carmichael's real work began. What time do you come in Monday morning? I was here right before 6.30. Were you exhausted? You know, I was tired, I think. To be honest with you, I really didn't pay much attention to it. It didn't hit me that hard. You know, I show up there... Like, it's not like I'm moving into the CEO's office. I'm just moving in just some random office. And they send the tech support people there. I need to be put onto the company's, you know, employee system. You need a badge? I need a badge, yes. I needed a laptop. I needed an email address. I needed to learn how to use the email system. So there was like a bunch of... Just like the stuff you would expect to do in your first week on a job. That's what I was doing in my first few hours, among other things. Right. (laughs) Among many other things. (laughs) Yeah. What was your first question? Wires. Funding. 
You know, yeah. you know, what's what's the volume look like? How how big was the backlog on Friday? What do we see coming in over the weekend on the internet? Which is substantial? What's our funding volumes look like? What do we need to have? This is just banking one on one. You know what you got to do. You got the wires building up. You know, you got a lot of withdrawals, so you kind of know what you got to get done. Were you surprised at the books here? I was very, very surprised. I was, I was, I was stunned that, that, that they were allowed to be in this situation, quite frankly. What and did you see? Well, I want to be careful here. Yeah. I want to be very careful here. Um, just tremendous concentrations, um, both on the asset side uh, and on the liquidity side, uh, that well outside of what I, I think a well-regulated you know, bank. Um, and I was just stunned to see that they were in certain businesses to the length and depth that they were um, and the exposures that they had and, quite frankly, the lack of controls that were in place. But I won't say any more than that about, yeah. about it. That's what regulators do. What was the volume of cash going out? Yeah, well, I, don't, I don't want to share that, to okay. be honest with you. It was substantial. I mean, it was, it was, it was 100x what it would normally be, yeah. you know, just if you can think about that. And then the weekend volumes, you don't get a lot on weekends, was just enormous. Right. Signature Bank's customers started panicking on Friday, before the weekend even started. The government seized Silicon Valley Bank that day, and by 6 p.m., Signature's customers had withdrawn $18 billion, or 20% of its total deposits. The FDIC said on Sunday that all deposits at both banks were secure. But customers were still panicking. And Tim and Greg needed to reassure them and stop the withdrawals. I had a lot of customers when they were calling in left and right. We had many, many, many requests to withdraw money from the bank. And there were so many that it was impossible to process all of them using the usual methods. One, you know, some of them, you know, hey, I have have a wire request. I haven't gotten it out. Am I going to get my wire out? Mm. Am I going to get my deposits out? Some of them, I'm trying to convince them to keep their deposits. Hey, you know, they're not at risk. Over the course of the first week, I had seven or eight uh, Zoom calls with clients that were attended by thousands of people. Some of these customers were very irate, very, very upset, frustrated, uncertain about where where things were going to land, and they wanted to make sure that their deposits were secure. So we were really trying to convey to the clients that their deposits were safe, regardless of amount, and second, the bank was open for business and was going to be operating as usual with the very same people with whom they had relationships for many years. The banks were trying to operate as usual, but it wasn't easy. They were essentially a new bank, the Bridge Bank. And that meant that some vendors, data providers, and payroll companies were confused about the relationship. We also had issues with foreign exchange and with counterparties, you know, financial institutions overseas that weren't really sure what a bridge bank was in the U.S. and weren't sure they actually wanted to do business with one. So they were declining to recognize us and process our transactions. As you can see, there's a variety of of operational issues, all of which are important in figuring out how are we going to solve those. Well, things that I wasn't anticipating, okay, such as customers who have a signature check going to another bank and the bank saying, we're not taking the check or we're going to put a 10-day hold on the check because we don't recognize Signature Bank anymore, they don't exist. It's now Signature Bridge Bank. Mm. We had payroll companies saying, we don't, have a, we don't have a contract with Signature Bank. We're not honoring it. And that played out all week. So, end of day one, how are you feeling? 
tired. Now I'm getting tired. Yeah. Um, and that and day one ended around eleven o'clock that night, eleven thirty that night. And how did you feel in those first couple days? Were you just like running on adrenaline? Really running on adrenaline. It was. Um, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. We, I have somebody in my office telling me about some problem. Somebody else would say, Tim, we need you to decide this right now. And then somebody else would walk in and say, we have this other issue. And you just had like, they would just queue up and we would, we would work our way through those issues. So it was, it was pretty relentless. You know, this experience was, you know, exciting and exhausting and frustrating and satisfying all at the same time. For the new CEOs, this chaos wouldn't last. On Sunday, March 19th, just a week after Greg landed in New York, the FDIC announced a sale. Flagstar Bank would buy most of Signature Bank's assets. What did that mean for you? Well, it means I'm out of a job, you know, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which was great for right. everybody. When did you leave? I left Tuesday afternoon. About a week after that, the FDIC had found a buyer for Silicon Valley Bank, First Citizens Bank. What was it like to tell the staff that they had a new boss yet again? I think they had two reactions. First, I think they were relieved that there was a, you know, someone who was buying the bank virtually in its totality, uh, at least, you know, what remained. And at the same time, it raised a whole new set of questions of who are these new people and you know, what, what are they going to do with the franchise and what's going to happen to us? What did you learn? You know, I, it, was, it was everything I've learned over 20 years coming together in a week. You know, just having to put into motion in a week and turn into actions in a week. I mean, you know, the leadership skills you hone over the many years, the banking expertise you have on things like, you know, fraud management, protecting the wires, all that kind of stuff. You would, you know... It was just on rapid fire. I look back at it, that's kind of what I've been doing all my career. So this was kind of suited for for my skill set. You're good in a crisis. I seem to be, you know... You'll survive the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So I said, Greg, you're kind of built for this kind of stuff. Well, maybe, maybe so. It was really unlike anything else I'd ever done where there really was no time to come up the learning curve. You're just showing up. You don't know anyone. You don't know how anything works and you don't know what issues you're going to find. Would you do it again? Absolutely. Uh, you know, as I say, my view is, if the government calls, you should answer the call. You know, I think lots of people serve the country in different ways. You know, I'm, I'm not a person who has the skills, let's say, of our, of our armed forces or our first responders, but this is a sense kind of a first responder role in the financial system. And it's something I know something about. And if the government needs help, it needs first responders for the financial system, I would definitely answer the call. That's all for today, Tuesday, April 18th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Candace Choi and Ben Eisen. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.